From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. The new film Dark Waters tells the true story of a community poisoned by so-called forever chemicals. The case started with a West Virginia farmer whose cattle died mysteriously. How many did you lose? 190. 190 cows. You tell me nothing's wrong here. Now, similar chemicals have turned up in water supplies in Colorado. We ended up having 16 family members that lived within that area that had cancer, and five of them have died of kidney cancer. Today, a picture of the PFAS problem here as testing and cleanup continue. And meet the attorney who inspired Dark Waters, Rob Bellot. We don't want to be using the population as guinea pigs to see what happens when people are exposed. We want to try to act proactively and deal with it up front. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. And here in Colorado, we've been hearing a lot lately about the man-made chemical compound PFAS. The synthetic chemicals have contaminated drinking water supplies across the country, including here in Colorado. Essentially, everyone has these compounds in our blood. The worst thing about it for me as a mother is the fact that parents are so worried. They're bathing their children in this water. They're cooking with this water. They don't know what the impact's actually going to be. There are 60,000 stories just like this, and they're happening in the, at the kitchen sink and every fountain and wide field and security home. PFAS and hundreds of other chemicals like it have been used in a wide variety of products for decades in our kitchens, on our military bases, and at airports. And discoveries of vast contamination in several Colorado watersheds have come as research shows greater risks to your health. Uh, We're in front of an audience at Colorado School of Mines in Golden with experts on the PFAS issue. And that includes attorney Rob Bellot, In the course of his career, he has secured more than a billion dollars for clients hit by this sort of contamination, and let's welcome him. Rob, I wonder if you'd be so kind as to give us a little history lesson of these so-called forever chemicals, but I think I want to start with the movie version of you, played by Mark Ruffalo in the new film Dark Waters. There is a man-made chemical that was invented during the Manhattan Project. It repelled the elements, especially water. So they used it to make the first ever waterproof coating for tanks. It was indestructible. Then some companies thought, hey, why just a battlefield? Why not bring this chemical into American homes? DuPont was one of those companies. So they took this chemical, PFOA, they renamed it C8, and they made their own impenetrable coating, but not for tanks, for pants. They called it Teflon, a shining symbol of American ingenuity made right here in the USA in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Right from the start, something wasn't right. Rob, the chemicals that DuPont and others have produced have become so widespread because they are so useful in so many different ways. Help us understand the need they're addressing before we understand exactly what they may be doing to our health. Yeah, they've been incredibly useful and um, 
valuable products for decades. I mean, you know, dating back, as you heard, to right after World War II. They've been used in, in a manner that you hear them referred to as surfactants. Surfactants. Things, yeah, things that help other things sort of glide along or, or in the manufacturing process, they don't stick to each other. They aren't necessarily ingredients in the product, but they're used in the manufacturing process. And unfortunately, traces, parts of that get actually picked up and end up in the product and also in the waste from the manufacturing processes that then get emitted into our air, into our water, into the ground. In speeches you give, you have said babies are born with this chemical in their bodies. Yeah, these chemicals, particularly the, the, the ones that have eight carbons, the ones we call C8s, PFOA and PFOS are the most well-known. They have a tendency to get into the blood of humans who are exposed to them and unfortunately stay in the blood for long periods of time. And when women are pregnant, that chemical actually goes across the placenta into the newborn, and when the baby is born, they are born dosed already. And uh, unfortunately, they also then tend to consume a lot of water for body weight. And if that water's contaminated, they end up with fairly high doses. And a lot of the studies that have been done have actually shown some of the highest blood levels in the youngest of the population. Oh my goodness. In Colorado, we have heard of these chemicals mostly connected to firefighting foam and the widespread contamination that's resulted from its use on military bases. With us is Professor John Adgate. He's chairman of environmental and occupational health at the Colorado School of Public Health. And John, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Ryan. We'll get to the public health concerns in Colorado shortly, but in this state, we have most often heard the term PFAS, but in the clip earlier, we heard PFOA, PFCs is tossed around, DuPont named its chemical C8. You know, it's all alphabet soup to a lot of people. Can you help us understand the relationship between all these names, all these chemicals? You know, the term that we've come to use is PFAS, uh, which is an acronym for polyfluoroalkyl compounds. All right, we use that because it's a huge group of things that, and they have these common characteristics. They're persistent and they're bioaccumulative. Okay, what, so let's just break apart those terms. They're persistent. They're really hard to get rid of. Right. They stay in our bodies for long periods of time. And one of the reasons they do is they do not break down in the environment or in people. So the PFAS that exists is going to exist for a very long time. So if I had PFAS enter my body at age three, would it be there until I died? Well, it depends which one, because some of them are excreted faster than others. But many of the ones that have been studied the most stay in your body for what's known as the half-life state is at least five to 10 years for, for many of them. So that means that they're gonna be in your body a, a very long time because what that means is half will be gone in five years or 10 years. So th this is one of the issues with them is they, they don't break down, they stay in your body, and they also are, what I said, bioaccumulative. So they're higher concentrations higher up the food chain. So polar bears have high levels. Now we're not eating polar bears, but People who, for example, eat more fish tend to have higher levels of certain PFAS. You know, fish is one source. Firefighting foams are another if that stuff has gotten into your drinking water. 
And how do they interact with our bodies, these chemicals? Most of it's in your kidneys and your liver, which are the filters in our bodies, and in our blood. They, they tend to bind the proteins in the blood. So they're there. That's where the majority of them are in the body. There's a number of health effects that have been associated with uh, exposure to these compounds, and they, they affect immune function, liver function, can cause cancer and certain instances, and the mechanism by which they do that is less well understood. But, you know, the causality question from these studies that were done in West Virginia is really um, excellent science because they were able to do it in a large population of people. This is the community of Parkersburg, West Virginia, where Rob Ballot worked. And I'd like to fold in Christopher Higgins, professor of civil and environmental engineering here at Colorado School of Mines. Chris... Talk more about how we're exposed to these chemicals. In Colorado, indeed, we hear about tainted drinking water supplies. Water is is one important source of exposure, and certainly that's what uh, most of the communities that are impacted around the country are are focusing on. But it is important to recognize, as John mentioned, there are other routes of exposure. Uh, So food is one thing. Some of the chemicals can accumulate in fish. Uh, Other sorts of of these chemicals can accumulate in things like plants. Okay, so being a vegetarian does not mean I'm excluded from PFAS. Correct. Do you think about that when you go to the grocery store or when you make your meals? Um, I I do a little bit. Um, I tend not to worry about it as much in that when you have contaminated drinking water uh, and, you know, there's a question as to how you define contaminated drinking water, that tends to be the dominant route of exposure. But as we know, as we've talked about, um, these chemicals are present in pretty much everyone we can get a blood sample from, and it's not all from the water. So there is, there's clearly uh, some of those other background exposure sources uh, happening. We've heard so far that PFAS is a, it's a big family of chemicals, potentially hundreds or thousands of them. So are they hard to measure? It, it, it kind of is. Uh, so uh, you have to have fairly advanced instrumentation uh, nowadays, it's, they're actually pretty good at doing it. Um, I can only think of some of the scientific challenges associated with measuring these before we had some of the instruments that we have today. Um, but, you know, the instruments are expensive. They're several hundred thousand dollars. Uh, you have to have skilled technicians uh, and, and students and graduate students and to do the measurements. Um, and you often, to get really good measurements, you have to know what you're looking for. Uh, we are trying a new approach where we turn off the blinders and we look for everything that we can, but it's not an easy thing uh, to process the data and, and really understand what that means. But we try to look for a lot of these compounds, as many compounds as we can. There's a lot of this research going on at mines and Correct. in Colorado. Do you think Colorado is exceptional in where it is related to PFAS? I think when it comes to research on this topic, I think Colorado is a hotspot. There's a lot of research being done on remediation and treatment technologies in particular, but also as to how these chemicals behave in the environment and how we're exposed to them. It's amazing to me that a chemical that is so widespread seems so poorly understood. Yeah, it is an interesting question. There are some of the compounds that we actually understand fairly well. So PFOS and PFOA are some of the two of the most widely studied and better studied compounds. Um, But what's really interesting from my perspective is that these compounds uh, really challenge our understanding of how organic chemicals behave in the environment. They challenge our paradigms, and they behave in new and very interesting ways. 
Uh, it was mentioned that these compounds are surfactants, uh, which means they really like to sit at an air-water interface, essentially, um, which has, there's all sorts of air-water interfaces out in the environment. Air-water interface, yeah. Right. Take, take so me the, to a park. What is an air-water interface? It's the surface of the pond. The bubbles coming up, there's an air-water interface. And uh, these compounds tend to accumulate at those air-water interfaces. And that's a behavior that we haven't necessarily focused on in environmental chemistry for many decades, uh, or ever for that matter. But it's a really important aspect of the behavior of these compounds. Rob Billot, in West Virginia, you saw firsthand the health effects, and as depicted in the film Dark Waters, you saw what these chemicals did to animals. Uh, In this scene, a farmer near the DuPont plant is dealing with droves of dead cattle, and he shows you, I mean, Mark Ruffalo in the film, a cow's gallbladder. Look at the size of it. Ain't never seen no gall that big. Bigger than the heart. That's your cows? Look at them tape. Black is not. There. Hoof. All turned in on itself. Half my calves born hooks like that. Tumor, I done cut off the back of heifer. I do like that on your table. Tell us about the human health effects you've seen in the decades you've been involved in this issue. Well, as you can imagine, you know, over the years, when we first started into this litigation back in 1999 with the Tennant family, the Tennant family, the family of the rancher, correct, the, 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 the farmer with the cows, his family, uh, Mr. Tennant himself and his family were suffering from all kinds of, of health effects, um, difficulty breathing, uh, they developed cancers as well, all kinds of health problems, which really spurred on our concern about what impacts these chemicals were having on the people who were exposed, which we were able to finally you know, do a, a lot more research on, a lot more study on when we brought the community together and started being able to look at a bigger group, um, you know, some 69 to 70,000 people in West Virginia and Ohio. And unfortunately, you know, this is an area of the country where it's referred to as Cancer Valley uh, or Cancer Alley. Um, and it's unc- incredibly widespread in that area. So the community was particularly concerned about is there a cancer effect, especially after seeing what we were seeing in the animal studies that showed, yes, there was, definitely in the animals. So the community was very interested in cancer. They also wanted to know whether there were any effects you know, in their children. And so you know, through the scientific work that linked those six diseases, the, the cancer, the preeclampsia, high cholesterol, thyroid disease, ulcerative colitis, it, once that information went out to the community, um, it was a pretty sobering thing to watch as people came forward and identified themselves with these diseases and to really realize how much illness and, and sickness there was in that area. And luckily, you know, through the medical monitoring program, people were able to finally start getting testing to see if they were developing these diseases early and at least have the knowledge to know what should we be looking for if we've been exposed. And we were happy to have at least that information is also now publicly available, posted online, so that other people who've been exposed to these chemicals can at least sit down with their doctors and say, here are, here are the different types of conditions maybe we ought to be looking for and, and doing testing for. But in a way, with DuPont, for those 20 years that you were finding the company, that was about one version of these chemicals. 
And if there are hundreds more out there, are there just hundreds more fights the likes of which you just fought? I sure hope not. Um, you know, and as you indicated, I mean, it took this long to really be able to confirm and make available to the public the information about one of these, PFOA. And as you know, Professor Higgins indicated, we know a lot about PFOA now. And unfortunately, what we're seeing with a lot of these related chemicals is they share a lot of the same characteristics, which is why it's sending up red flags for people in the scientific community and the regulatory community to say they're similar enough that we ought to be very seriously looking at whether we ought to be taking steps proactively to try to prevent exposures and to deal with these before people start developing diseases. We don't want to be using the population as guinea pigs to see, let's see what happens when people are exposed. We want to try to act proactively and deal with it up front. Are populations being used as guinea pigs today? You know, unfortunately, um, I think we all have to some degree for many, many years uh, with these chemicals. There was knowledge available about what these chemicals could do if they were put out into the environment and people were exposed. And unfortunately, um, all of us were then watched and monitored to see where the cancers would develop and where, where the diseases would develop. I'm hoping that as people see that and realize that from the book, from the movie, from the documentary, that that hopefully will generate a bigger conversation among all of us about is that the way we ought to approach these things? Should that be the way we approach chemical regulation in the country? You mentioned your book uh, called Exposure, and this is very much about your, your many years fight. Well, concern over PFAS really made its way into the public consciousness after the EPA put out a health advisory in 2016. And after that came a string of reports of contamination around the country, including here in Colorado. And with us on stage is Mark Favors. He used to live in Security, Colorado. This is a small community south of Colorado Springs, not too far from Peterson Air Force Base. And Mark, you became an activist against the use of PFAS a few years ago after news broke of contamination at Peterson, uh, you've been deeply affected personally. Would you tell us about your own family's health issues? Um, yes, I've, I found this out when I was, I live in New York City now, I was visiting my mother a couple of years ago, so I was late to the PFAS issue, and CBS this morning had did a special about the PFAS in Colorado Springs, and my mother was like, you know, that's where your grandmother lived, and it was actually Wyfield, and I was like, what were you talking about? So then I started looking up into it and we ended up having 16 family members that lived within that area that had cancer and five of them have died of kidney cancer and, and of those five, they're on both sides of my family so it can't be genetic. So like on my mother's side, one of my first cousins, when she was younger, her kidneys failed and so her brother gave her a kidney and they had to take it out because they said it had cancer too. And then after my grandparents died in Whitefield, my father moved into the house and then his kidney failed and he got a kidney transplant up here in Denver from a random donor and they had to remove that kidney 
because they said it was cancerous. And so, you know, you just think, oh, that's strange. That's how life is. And then another cousin that married into my family, who was a Vietnam veteran, he died of kidney cancer a few years ago. And then my 14-year-old cousin, a couple of years ago, his kidneys failed, and he had to get a kidney transplant. His mother's lived in the area since she was 10, and no one in our family outside of that Wyfield area has ever had any kidney issues. And so that's when I started really looking into it. And because, of, you know, the Air Force and Car Marines admitted that this contamination probably started in 1970 through 2016. This is and connected to a firefighting phone. To a phone. And, and they admit that from 1991 to 2016, they actually dumped the foam into our drinking water source several times a year. I know you've told this story a lot, and I think that as a result of that, it, it can sound quite factual, but what is it like to think that 16 members of your family have wound up with cancer? I mean, I just, that's, that's a bit mind-boggling to me. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult, especially with my grandparents, because uh, my grandmother, you know, my family's been incarcerated since 1930s. My grandmother chose to move to Wyfield to get a bigger house. Her only sister didn't move out to Wyfield area. My grandmother died of cancer 15 years after moving to Wyfield. Her only sister is 98 years old and lives alone. And so, you know, all these things start messing with your mind. And a lot of them are military veterans. One of my cousins, while he was doing tour, combat tours in Iraq, the Air Force was contaminating their drinking water. That's more of the, the crazy part, you know, is how they've admitted it. And it's just hard to get any type of, you know, justice on the issue. With current U.S. law, say I have this bottle, I put a bottle of PFAS. You're holding a, a bottle, a bottle of, of water. water and I decide I want to go sell it at the local pharmacy. According to current U.S. law, I would have to pay for research for three years to prove it's safe before I could even apply to get FDA approved to sell PFAS in drugstores. Yet, I can legally dump it right now in unlimited amounts into the drinking water, public drinking water source. That Rob, makes no sense. What do you make of that framing, comparing something, you know, we might buy at a grocery store to how PFAS is regulated? Well, I think that's actually something a lot of folks have focused on, you know, the distinction between the way things are regulated by the FDA, um, you know, that looks at drugs that require upfront testing of all these things versus existing chemicals that are already out there that are being put into our water every day. And into our food, as we heard earlier. Correct. Though, though, though not intentionally on an assembly line. But. Yeah. I mean, the way environmental exposures are handled is completely different from the way exposures in foods and drugs are handled, even though you're getting essentially something put right into your food, right into your water, uh, but it's two completely different regulatory schemes. Well, also with us is Tracy White. She's remediation program manager at the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. Of course, remediation is a fancy word for cleanup. It's certainly something I'd like to hear more about at this point. What kind of remediation work has been done so far in Colorado, Tracy? 
So right now, we've really been trying to focus on mitigating exposures for the public to PFOA and PFAS and the other PFAS contaminants. Mitigating exposure. Tell me what you mean. Removing PFAS from people's drinking water sources. Yes, you're right. We first heard about this contamination in Colorado in very early 2016 when we learned that elevated levels of PFOA and PFAS had been detected in three very large public water systems south of Colorado Springs in El Paso County. So um, within one year of finding out about this contamination, emergency measures were put into place for each of the public water systems in that area to remove PFAS from the drinking water. And until such time that those mitigation measures were put into place, bottled water and water bottle fill stations were provided. Private wells in that area have also been sampled, and for any that test above that health advisory, reverse osmosis units were put into those households. Did the Air Force pay for that? That's correct, yeah. yes. Um, I'll just and say that back in 2017, Peterson committed to a five-year cleanup of water in the Widefield Fountain and Security Water District. That's correct. And um, a very large uh, sum of money was received from the 2018 National Defense Authorization Act. And with that funding, additional longer-term mitigation measures are currently being put into place for five public water systems in the affected area. What about outside of that Colorado Springs region? Are there PFAS hotspots in Colorado that you have your eye on? Yes, so in addition to all of the work that is ongoing at Peterson Air Force Base, which is the, the more popular one that everyone's used to hearing about, all of the other Department of Defense facilities across the state of Colorado are also performing PFAS investigations, again related to the use of firefighting foam. Those investigations are in various different stages, I guess, of the investigation. But just like at Peterson, the first and foremost priority for the Department of Public Health and Environment is to identify potential exposures and, and cut those off. Could you give us some examples of where these investigations are underway? Sure. They're, um, they're ongoing, as I said, at Department of Defense facilities. Yeah, so a few Fort, of those. What are a few Fort of those? Fort Carson, Buckley Air Force Base, Schriever Air Force Base, Cheyenne Mountain. Those are the defense sites. Colorado is looking at non-defense sites. Like what? Manufacturing facilities across the state that are already being regulated, we are able to require that they sample for these chemicals as well. Chris? One thing that's important to remember about the use of these compounds in the firefighting foam is that that 70 parts per trillion is a really low number, and it doesn't take much. It takes just a very tiny bit of this foam to cause a problem. Uh, and so, you know, I like to think of a lot of the foam was sold in five-gallon buckets. And one five-gallon bucket of this foam, of this historical foam containing the PFOS and PFOA, has enough of those chemicals in it to contaminate a water supply for 27,000 people for an entire year. Wow. So an entire year's worth of water for that 27,000 people. And that's at the 70 nanograms per liter level. You know, you're, you're hearing also some stories about smaller releases of these materials, whether it's the manufacturing facilities or places you just bought one five-gallon bucket. That's enough to contaminate a water supply. And who might have bought those buckets? Local fire stations. Uh, we've heard, I think, a little bit about that in Boulder County. Um, there are going to be others where that material has been used and released. And these investigations will presumably reveal more, Tracy. Most likely. The firefighting foams are effective at putting out a oil fire. So any place that's going to have one of those is going to have used these compounds. So it's going to be the DOD, it's going to be airports, it's going to be refineries. Chris mentioned 
fire station. So, you know, if they've got to put out a fire like that, that's what they're going to use because that's the product that's out there. Although that there is a whole area of, of people creating non-PFAS foams that hopefully will replace the forever chemicals that, that are in uh, these legacy foams. Rob? When we talk about foam and the environmental contamination, I think it's also important for people to realize, you know, there is a group of emergency responders and firefighters out there that really are becoming very concerned about this. You know, historically, these are folks that have been almost bathing in these foams and have been using them and been told they're fine to use for years um, that are just now realizing not only have we been using these foams, you know, and we've also had our gear that may have historically had waterproof coatings or fireproof coatings that may have been used it may have been made using some of these chemicals in the past. So the firefighting emergency responding community is also very concerned about their exposure. And right now there's a lot of efforts underway to try to get studies done of that particular community as well. And uh, we all know that they have elevated cancer rates and there's concern that a lot of these cancers are very similar to the cancers linked to PFOS exposure. So that's something that I'm also trying to help raise awareness of, that that's research that really needs to be undertaken to help the firefighting community. I just want to, oh. I'm sorry, I would, just, I would just add that um, with regard to the fire departments, there was a bill that was passed um, here in Colorado last year that put restrictions on the use of PFAS-containing foams for training, um, as well as for testing of fire systems, fire equipment, et cetera. Um, it also put into place requirements for reporting of these chemicals by the manufacturers in the foam, as well as in the protective equipment that was just mentioned. And the Department of Health will be performing surveys of fire departments every three years to get a better understanding with regard to um, the amount of PFAS-containing foam they have, where it's been used, and how it's been disposed of. So essentially, the bill you're talking about said, you can't train with this stuff. If you're going to use it, it's going to be for real. Correct. Yeah. Military bases, including Peterson, I'll say, have phased out an old firefighting foam that led to some of the original concerns uh, meanwhile, the Federal Aviation Administration says the foam can no longer be used after 2021, but there are these concerns that the replacement foams are also toxic. Just throwing this out to the group, it sounds like we're not out of the woods yet as far as products that are still in use. So I'll try and answer that one a little bit. Um, the newer foams that are currently being used by the military and a lot of the civilian airports and such are often referred to as the C6 foams, which uh, I, th I think uh, Mr. Blot mentioned uh, before, you know, just very similar to the C8, just uh, have two fewer carbons. One of the interesting things about them is that they, these chemicals still share the persistence issue. So they're still, perfluorochemicals are still persistent. These new chemicals in the foams are just as persistent as the foams they're replacing. The issue and, and why I think there, there's been a movement to this as a, as a potential band-aid until we get to a point where we have fluorine-free foams, I think there's a lot of interest in going that direction, is that the C6 chemistry is not as quite as bioaccumulative as the C8 chemistry. It doesn't accumulate in my body as much animals' bodies and, and as much. Until such point as we have foams that don't contain these organic fluorine molecules, that work as well, and there are some out there that work. Um, there's some hesitation, I think, among 
agencies to fully embrace them, then we'll use these other ones as an intermediate step. Because at the same time, we want fires to be put out. Correct. When our house is on fire or a plane is on fire. Well, John? So, I was just going to add one clarification. One important yeah. thing about these foams is that uh, these are specifically designed to put out fuel fires. So structural fires is not an approved or intended application. But um, if there was a crash on the highway and there was a fuel spill that caught fire, that would be the sort of application where this was intended to be used. You know, I think it's important Wrong. to note, too, that we're not seeing this change just with firefighting foams. You know, there are a number of products that historically have used the C8s, the PFOA and PFOS, that have been slowly transitioned away to different materials. And there are a number of companies that are coming forward and trying to, to make that switch. And I think there, you know, we should be trying to encourage that as well. And in the Fight Forever Chemicals.com campaign that was launched with the launch of the film, Dark Waters, um, you know, they're trying to make information available about who is switching away from this? What products are available now that don't use these chemicals? You know, if people want to make a choice and try to select away from this older chemistry and find something different, who would we go to so that these companies can be encouraged to do that and to make that change? John, it seemed like you might want to add something. One other thing I was going to say is, I mean, one of the reasons I think the, the contamination around Peterson Air Force Base was an issue is because Firefighters were brought in from a number of different places to train for a very long time. And we've ended up with very high PFAS levels in the groundwater and some of the highest levels that have been measured in humans of some PFAS constituents. Um, you know, and it's, it's one thing that's very striking and unfortunate about that. I mean, it really is an unfortunate natural experiment that we're going to be dealing with in Colorado for a very long time. A very long time. Say more about that. Well, it gets back to the, the issue of persistence. Uh, the, these compounds don't break down in the environment. They're in Fountain Creek. They're going down this watershed and moving south. So the Air Force Base is to the north. The affected communities are all sort of down gradient south of them. And this stuff is slowly moving through um, the groundwater and, and Fountain Creek and eventually is going to make its way to Pueblo. Now, we're at Mines, there's all sorts of people doing research on ways to remediate, i.e. clean up this stuff, and I'm, I'm quite hopeful they're successful. Well, I, I naturally, as just a layman, picture, you know, my Brita water filter, you know, run the water through and the PFAS will magically disappear. Is it that easy? Unfortunately, no, uh, but I'm going to turn it over to Tracy. Well, right now, um, the way that these chemicals are removed from groundwater is via pumping the groundwater out of the ground, treating it, and putting it back into the ground. So obviously, this is costly. It's not very efficient. And so they're, they're looking at a number of different ways here at Mines and, and at other institutions at ways to treat the groundwater while it's still in the ground. And we are excited to be pilot testing a number of these, a couple of these different technologies at Peterson Air Force Base um, during this upcoming year, in fact. Let me say that the state has a half a million dollar fund available to help communities test their water for these chemicals. I think a, a person listening to this might think, Am I drinking PFAS right now? How confident can the state be right now in saying yes or no? 
Right now, we are not aware of any communities that are drinking water that have PFAS contamination. All of the large public water systems had to sample um, during the EPA testing period that Mr. Balat described earlier, and the three large public water systems in south of Colorado Springs were the only ones that came back with elevated levels. Um, having said that, though, we do have this additional funding that we just received at the end of last year to go out and start sampling, particularly some of the smaller um, public water systems, to help us to gain a better understanding of the contamination that may be throughout the state. Okay, so the smaller water districts might be vulnerable? Is that what I hear you saying? Um, they may or may not have tested yet at this point. Okay. Just one point of clarification, cultural Mark. competency. No, your Brita filter will not remove PFAS. Have to make that clear. Your Brita filter, because you know a lot of people are like, no, I got one of them Brita filters, so I, I'm good. No, your Brita filter does not remove PFAS. Let's get that clear. Uh, Mark, the Air Force has spent more at Peterson than any other site, $50 million so far on remediation. Do you think that's enough? I'd rather have my grandmother alive with her sister that's 98 year, years old. I'd rather have my 14-year-old cousin not have to have a kidney transplant two years ago. I'd rather have my Aunt Ivory not be buried in Fort Logan of kidney cancer three months ago. So, I mean, on one hand, it's, it's good moving forward, not to mention, though, that it's not all the money because security has sued the Air Force because the Air Force told they're still old money to. So it's a dispute if the Air Force has really covered all the costs. This is something that went on from 1970 to 2016. There are a lot of sick people and a lot of people have died. And so, yeah, it's good to do the filtering, but there's going to have to be some sort of accountability and justice for these people who, are no, who unknowingly for years drank colorless, odorless, high amounts of PFAS. That is activist Mark Favors on stage at the Colorado School of Mines with a panel of experts on PFAS contamination, so-called forever chemicals. They linger in our bodies and our environment. Colorado is an epicenter for the problem and the potential solutions. More after a break. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. With so much happening, it is hard to keep up. I'm News Director Rachel Estabrook. CPR News is here to be your guide in this busy political season and through election year. We'll continue to bring you special coverage from NPR on the major events. And we'll give context about why it matters for you here in Colorado. Thanks for being with us here on CPR News. Perhaps you've heard of the new film Dark Waters, starring Mark Ruffalo. It's about an attorney who once represented chemical companies fighting them when he learns his hometown in West Virginia is being contaminated. It is based on the life of Rob Balot, who's one of my guests on stage at the Colorado School of Mines. Mines is dedicating a lot of brain power to the problem of so-called forever chemicals used in manufacturing and firefighting. Communities around Peterson Air Force Base near Colorado Springs have been especially hard hit because a PFAS firefighting foam contaminated water supplies. Let's rejoin Rob Balot, Mines Professor Christopher Higgins, activist Mark Favors, and John Adgate of the Colorado School of Public Health. 
John Adgate, can you comment on what links have been drawn between that incredibly high rate that we're hearing of kidney cancer and the chemicals around Colorado Springs? How, how well studied has that been? I'm part of a large national study that's just starting that has DOD money that's been channeled through the Centers for Disease Control. And it is answering specifically what question? Well, it's mostly looking at non-cancer health effects, and there's a scientific reason for that around the size of the population we can study. There have been some investigations of kidney cancer in security found in Widefield. I'm not uh, the expert on them. You know, they're preliminary studies that have been done. You know, causality is hard to demonstrate in preliminary studies. I'll, I'll just say that. We, in, in our study that we'll be doing going forward, we'll be looking for chemical markers, biomarkers of, of potential cancer pathways, but that's the most we can do in the size of the population we got. I mean, your ability to detect a difference is really important. And we don't, studies that don't have enough people in them are actually unethical. Suffice it to say, this area around Colorado Springs, this area is security, wide field, there's a lot still to answer. Absolutely. About the health effects. Keep in mind, I mean, if you're talking about kidney cancer, that's one of the two cancers that has already been linked by the Independent Science Panel in the study of 70,000 people. So we're talking about the same chemical. Right, the same chemical, PFOA. Um, And as you indicated, I mean, you do need tens of thousands, unfortunately, to do cancer studies oftentimes. And that has been done. It's been done with this PFOA chemical. And this independent confirmed link was already found for kidney cancer. You're dealing with the same chemical, just in a different place. To wrap up, I'd like to look at what's ahead. Rob Ballad, a district judge in South Carolina, has the job of compiling and ruling on a whole cluster of PFAS lawsuits from a number of states, including Colorado. Um, the case is in discovery now, and uh, Chris Higgins from Mines, you actually testified as an expert witness recently. Rob, what's the significance of these kind of bundled cases? Well, as these cases have popped up all across the country, as testing has finally started, you know, for these chemicals in drinking water. And just to keep in mind, I mean, the reason why Colorado is having to go out and do all of this, this process is still grinding through at the US EPA. They are still in the process of trying to decide whether or not to regulate these chemicals at a national level. That's what's still happening at the national level. So in the meantime, the states are left having to do this on their own, and we are seeing this happen. Ohio has just ordered statewide testing of their water supplies. New Jersey has done this. Michigan has done statewide testing. So there's more and more places that are going to find this stuff. The companies that are responsible here have all asked for all of those cases across the country to be pulled into one proceeding in, in, in federal court, and that happened. And all of those cases that deal with firefighting foam are now before a federal judge down in South Carolina. You've got just a wide variety of different kinds of claims. You've got people that believe they've been injured because they've been drinking the water. You have water suppliers, municipalities, cities that are faced with the cost of filtering this out of their water that have brought claims 
particularly when they're in states that have set standards already for what's safe in the water. And if they're exceeding it, they're having to put very expensive filters and treatment systems on. They're bringing claims. States are bringing claims for the kinds of things you just heard that Colorado's gonna have to do, testing, sampling, remediating somewhere around the state. So all of those different cases have been pulled into this proceeding down in, in South Carolina. And it's just at the initial stages of trying to, to figure out how do we handle this. And one of the first things the court's gonna be looking at is this, you heard Mark talk about this, was, is, the, is the argument by a lot of these companies that we made these foams for the government, we are therefore a military contractor, we can't be sued for any of this. So that's, all of these legal issues are now being presented to this court in South Carolina. Chris Higgins, what's your sense? Will we be talking about the cleanup of forever chemicals forever? Uh, unfortunately, yeah. This is probably one of the biggest challenges of my generation of environmental scientists and engineers. And it's going to take the, the best and brightest uh, of us to really address this. Mark Favors, former resident of Security Colorado, who's had so many family members affected by PFAS. What is success for you? What is a, a place where you might feel, I, think, I don't know if the word is satisfied? I think, uh, you know, true oversight and investigation by Congress and accountability so we can prevent this issue in the future. You know, in our hometown, Fort Carson by a DOD agency was told to get rid of the foam in 1991, they did. Peterson kept using it. So I think we have to figure out how is it that one DOD agency, the US Army Corps of Engineers tells the Army to get rid of it, then right across town the Air Force says, you know what, we'll dump it into the drinking water. And so I think, you know, we need to have some type of accountability because like what Rob was just saying, imagine with cyanide, imagine all of a sudden I go to the public drinking water and be like, oh no, this isn't cyanide I'm about to dump into the water. This is a derivative called splionide. <laughs> Do you think the public would be like, oh, okay, that's the safer cyanide. You're good. No. I mean, it's just crazy that now we're sitting around trying to even, you know, what we want is the same treatment FDA does with drugs. I don't know if you heard, there was a week ago, there was a scare of Zantac because they thought they were, Zantac in Europe was linked to cancer, so all the pharmacies got rid of Zantac. They didn't wait and say, oh, let's do more studies before we remove it from ourselves. They did it immediately. So what we want is the benefit of the doubt. Let's keep it out of the water and out of our children's water until we know for sure it's safe and not rely on the polluter who says, oh, I'm gonna fund some more tests. I'll let you know on a need-to-know basis. I want to thank you all for being with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Our conversation about Forever Chemicals, recorded at the Colorado School of Mines and produced by Dan Boyce, engineered by Matt Hers and Peter Creamer. I'm Ryan Warner. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News.